Truth Espresso, episode 238. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, for another episode of Truth Espresso. I am kind of going solo this episode. Well, I'm reviving one from 14 years ago uh, with family visiting and birthdays. It's a lot of busyness going on and not enough time to uh, come up with some notes for continuing our series on the revivals in American history. So I'm resurrecting something that I did back in 2009. And this was during a time where uh, my father-in-law was having uh, some Bible studies, and we had an older couple over to participate in the studies, and I was kind of guest teaching it for two weeks, and I was teaching on the topic of tithing. Now, it might not be the position that you might be accustomed to. I was in the process of writing a book, which turned out to be my book, Freedom to Give, The Biblical Truth About Tithing, that was published in 2011. So this was while that book was in its infancy drafts, and I was teaching through some of the studies that I did that were in preparation for this book. And I taught two different weeks, the first one on the Old Testament passages, and then the second one on the New Testament passages primarily, and I have not been able to find the Old Testament the first week, but I found the second week covering the New Testament. I did allude to and discuss some relevant passages in the Old Testament, and I apologize that the audio quality isn't clear. I wasn't speaking into a microphone like I'm recording right now. I had an audio recorder next to me going to record the lesson, but I think you'll find it that it's still a little bit understandable, and I hope that you enjoy this lesson in what does the New Testament uh, really say about tithing. So before we get into any of the, the passages, can anyone recap some of the points that we looked over yesterday about the nature of tithing in the Old Testament? What are some facts that we learned about tithing in the Old Testament? Well, we talked about giving uh, animals or food for any percentage of the gift, first of the you know firstborn after the first choice or the best choice instead of second, third, or fourth choice as being the number one part of the tithing program. So, yeah, one point would be that it was always food, it was always crops and livestock that grew in the the boundaries of the promised land. And another fact would be that the people, when they tithed, it was always the tenth thing that they counted, not the first of the tenth. So that if they had... 29 goats, they would tithe two rather than three. Right. And they wouldn't tithe 2.9 goats. <laughs> <laughs> Any other facts that you can remember? And then there's a whole scandal with that priest about 
But what's interesting is that it says that they are tithing, you know, mint, anise, or cumin, or right. spices, or garden herbs, which is another type of food. A lot of preachers will use this verse where Jesus tells them that they should then doing what they're doing, they're tithing, and say, see, Jesus commended tithing, therefore, that's a message for us that we need to tithe. But, you know, they miss this detail where it says that what they were tithing of, it says mint, anise, and cumin, uh, you know, different spices. You know, if Jesus said, this ought ye to have done, you know, and this message is exactly for us today, then does the, is Jesus telling us that we need to tithe of mint, anise, and cumin? Because that's exactly what he said, this ought ye to have done. So are we supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll just have to figure out from the context. Of course, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Right. And then if we look at verses 1 through 3, or actually down through 4, do you want to read that, Sophie? Sure. Then speaks Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees say, and most deceived. Also, for whatsoever they say to you, Mm-hmm. 
they were pretty much going to an unnecessary extreme with their tithing, outward actions like that, and then they were neglecting the actual virtues of the law, you know, judgment, mercy, grace. But if someone's going to try to use that verse to say we're supposed to tithe, if you're going to take what he said literally, either you have to do what he said and tithe men and it's improvement, or it doesn't apply to us. Right. Because it's still talking about the Jews and the Mosaic law, and I would say it doesn't apply to us in that instance. Because if it did, no one I know anywhere obeys what he said. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a similar verse in Luke. It's Luke 11:42, and it's it's a different account of the same occurrence. So we don't have to look at that, but it's it's the same woes to the scribes and Pharisees, and it's worded slightly different. So that's basically the scope of tithing in the New Testament. <laughs> and it's still in the dispensation of the law, or in Mosaic law, Jesus' ministry to the Jews. The scribes and Pharisees were Jews. They were practicing the law, or at least saying that they were. And it's this instance of Jesus commanding them for their tithing, we find from the context it doesn't really apply to us, because if it did, we were all breaking it. So, you know, it's not really legitimate to use that to say that Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to practice tithing, of course, monetary income, you know, that they apply in the church. Now we're going to go to Paul's epistles, and we're going to look at a passage that people often use to teach tithing, and we're going to find out whether or not that particular passage actually does teach tithing. If we could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it will be verses 1 and 2. Does anyone want to read those two verses? Not concerning the collection for the same, as I have given order to, to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week, that every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know, in some churches, if you visit, you might see, like, envelopes, and then they'll list First Corinthians 1 and 2, and then they'll say, you know, they might list these two verses, and then they'll also list Malachi 3, 8 to 10, and say, okay, you know, we should give our tithes and offerings, you know. Now, are these verses talking about the church, that the church should give, the people of a church should give tithes and offerings, assuming of their monetary income, to their own church? Do you think these two verses are talking about that? Well, we'll find out. Yeah, what yeah it says it says in churches, mm-hmm. you know. And it says collection well, I guess, for the I guess it's more than one church. I guess each church probably does their own or whatever. We hear the words, the, the phrase collection for the saints. Yeah. So often think that that means you know, okay, pass the plate around, put some money in. Well, to figure out the context, I'm going to read verse three, and it says previous verse that there be no gatherings when I come. And then verse 3 it says, And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So what we have here is Paul is telling at least the Galatian church and the Corinthian church people the churches to save up whatever money or whatever so that when Paul gets there there'll be no gatherings and they'll be prepared to give him so that he'll bring it to Jerusalem. So from this passage, it's not talking about giving for your own church. It's talking about giving for a remote church. And then we'll look at a bunch of other passages for the context to determine exactly what's the condition and what's the scenario that he's talking about. 
Now we'll go to Acts chapter 11, and then it will be verses 27 through 30. And I guess I'll read those verses. Acts 11 verses 27 through 30 says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. So we see here that there is a prophet in Jerusalem who predicted that a famine was going to come throughout the, the land of Judea, and they sent Barnabas and Paul to send relief to them. And uh, this this is going to be the the context of First Corinthians sixteen one through two. Now we can turn to Romans chapter fifteen, and then we'll start in verse twenty four. I guess it goes down from verse twenty four down to the end of the chapter. Do you want to read that, Chelsea? Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to you in my journey, and to be brought on my way to the reward by you. At first I be somewhat filled with your company, and now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased both Macedonia and Micaiah to make a certain contribution for the four saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them barely, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them the fruit, I will come by you in this thing. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the of Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Jesus, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted for the sake of the faith. And they come unto you with the joy by the will of God. So this passage is in the same context of that famine in in Judea, and specifically the church in Jerusalem. Paul is is telling the Romans that he's going to deliver a contribution to relieve some of the saints there. Study about Paul and his, his missionary journeys. So this is part of his missionary journey and. In his letter to the Romans, he's telling them that he wants to come visit them, but right now he has to go deliver some aid to the saints in Jerusalem. And it says that Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia and Achai are the ones that contributed toward this relief effort. So we're still seeing here that there's a famine in Jerusalem, and Paul is, is the one in charge of delivering it to them. And if we remember from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he's telling the Corinthian and Galatian churches to save up some money or stuff once every week. The first day of the week, lay by him or lay by the one who's giving in store so that when he comes, there'll be no gatherings. In other words, he doesn't want to show up there and say, uh, we need some relief, could you give? Oh man, I'm not prepared to give. You know, he's telling them ahead. He's on their way there, but they get his letter, and he tells them, as I told the churches in Galatia, I want you to do this too. Once a week, I want you to save up 
as God has prospered you so that when I come, I don't have to gather it. It's all there for me. And you can load, you know, basically load onto his ship and he'll head to Jerusalem. And we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we can look at, uh, anyone want to read verse 7? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we notice from that verse, it says that everyone should give, not of necessity, but cheerfully. So if someone was required to give 10% of his income to the church, would that be of necessity? If someone were required by God to give 10% of their monetary income to the church, would that be of necessity? Would that be giving of necessity? Well, if God requires it, you know. Yeah, but here, in this verse, it says, Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity or under compulsion. So if someone were required to give a specific amount of their own income to the church, would that be under compulsion or of necessity? No. If we compel to give according to the external standard, the heart is cut out of the gift. Such giving is a matter of works, not grace. Does the amount we give indicate God's grace to us? You know. So basically, I mean, from this verse, it seems that what we give is out of what's in our heart, right, not right. out of any kind of external requirement. But we also find that this verse, if we read, read the whole chapter, we find out it's in the same context of giving toward that famine relief in Judea. I guess I'll read a few verses here, starting at verse 1. It says, For it's touching the ministering to the saints, you know, which is the ministering to the saints in Jerusalem. It is superfluous or not necessary for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boasted you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not you, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. And the whole chapter is still talking about, you know, it mentions Macedonia and Achaia. Those are the two uh, churches that we saw earlier that gave a large gift of aid for the church in Jerusalem because of the famine there. Here he mentions that again. And we see the, the context of the whole chapter is still talking about that same famine in Jerusalem. Paul tells the, the Corinthian church regarding this famine, everyone according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. And this is also the same Corinthian church that, you know, this is Second Corinthians, but First Corinthians chapter 16, that was the, uh, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So, you know, this is you know, this is all talking about that same famine. And the collection for the saints isn't talking about a collection for elders or pastors of a church or the presbytery or whatever. It's talking about the people of the church of Jerusalem, the collection for them to relieve them of famine. Ding 
dong. Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong. Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdothebelieve.com. It's pretty interesting to notice the context of a lot of these passages that people often read a verse here and there, you know, as a principle, and they don't see the context. So when sometimes when people look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, and say the collection for the saints, they're thinking of passing a plate around, people putting their money in, and that goes to that own church's you know, budget. That's not what that verse is talking about, because it says, you know, he's telling the churches of Galatia and Corinth on the first day of the week, you know, of course most people assume that that's talking about like a worship service on Sunday, which I don't think the context of that's talking about, I think it has to do with whenever people would be paid weekly, you know, he's telling them once a week, you know, you've been paid, now that you've been, as God has prospered you, you know, lay a portion aside to buy him in store, you know, of course some people will take by him in store refers to the storehouse of the temple, you know, and that's the church, you know. You can't draw that link. It says, lay by him, the one who's giving, one should lay by him in store, kind of like you have a savings account where every time you're paid, you set aside a portion into that account. So everyone should lay by him in store as God is prospering so that when Paul arrives at that church, they already have something set aside that they can give to him, and then he was going to bring that liberality unto Jerusalem to minister to the poor saints which are there. So it looks like that passage is not talking about tithing of your monetary income to your own church. For one thing, it doesn't mention tithing at all. Some people take some phrases for it, but they, you know, they misinterpret those phrases. Number two, it doesn't even talk about giving to your own church. Now, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to give to your own church. It's just that that passage is not talking about it. It's talking about meeting the needs of a remote church. We don't know whether he's talking about money or food or both. It's some kind of aid that those churches were instructed to do to give to Paul so that he can deliver it to relieve the famine aid in Jerusalem. The last argument for tithing that people have is, well, you're all t- you're talking about the law, you know. If we're not under the law, but the Bible does have instances of tithing or tithing before the law, you know, Abraham and Melchizedek, you know, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek, and Jacob made a vow to God after the you know the vision of the ladder. When he woke up, he said that he, he made a vow to God that if God would bring him to his father's house and keep him safe and do as he promised, then he would give a tenth of everything to him, which from Jacob's vow, it was a conditional vow. He said, if God will do this, then I will give a tenth of it whatever to him. So from Jacob's vow, you know, it was a conditional vow. You know, this is in Genesis 28. I don't want to take the time to read them, but... Jacob's vow, you know, it's ambiguous. We don't know what he was talking about. Was he talking about giving to God a tenth of his income or what? And if so, how did he do it? You know, who did he give it to? Did he, like, toss it up in the air and God with chariots came down and scooped it up? 
we don't know what he's talking about and how he did it. If he did it, we don't have any account of him actually fulfilling it, so we don't know exactly what he was talking about. What I suggest is, you know, where God named Jacob Israel, I think that Jacob's vow to God, where God said, you know, where Jacob told God that if he brought him back safely to his father's house, he was relating to his vision, the you know, the vision of the latter, and the vision had to do with Jacob being the chosen seed through Abraham through which the nation of Israel would come. And so I, I propose that Jacob's vow itself was not something that Jacob actually himself did or that it was actually fulfilled in the nation of Israel and the tithing laws that God gave to the nation of Israel. Jacob's vow was fulfilled in the nation of Israel performing the tithe laws. So with that, that's still, I'd say that's Jacob's vow, even though it was before the law, it still had to do with the nation of Israel, and, and it was linked to the law in that respect. And so now what we're left with is Abraham, and, you know, a lot of people say, look, Abraham tithed before the law, therefore, since, you know, if we're not bound by the law, we could still be bound by what Abraham did, because what he did was before the law. You know, which is kind of a you know a silly argument on its face because God commanded Abraham to circumcise his children. You know, He said this will be a covenant between you know you and me forever. There's no instance where God actually commanded Abraham to tithe. We don't see that. We just see Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek. But God actually commanded Abraham to circumcise his children. So if we're going to take the argument that whatever Abraham did that was before the Mosaic Law, we're bound to do the same thing. Well then, based on Abraham being actually commanded by God to circumcise his children, are we bound to do that? Well, no. We find in Galatians where Paul himself said that, you know, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything. So, you know, just because Abraham did something or himself was commanded by God to do something doesn't mean that just because it's before the law doesn't mean we who are not bound by the law are bound by what Abraham did. We're going to look at uh, the account of Abraham and Melchizedek as it's found in Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll find out whether Abraham's tithe in Melchizedek is something that we have to do. Anyone want to read verses... Uh, 1 through 5, Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Solomon, priest of the Most High God, whom met Abraham returned from the slaughter of the king, who blessed him. To him also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by anticipation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Solomon, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without consent, Yeah, that's precisely what it was. 
This wasn't his job, his wages, you know, where he tithed of his monetary income. This was the tithe of the spoils of a war. And there's actually history of, in Arab lands, there was a spoils of war custom where, you know, people would give spoils to the king of the land for which, where the war was fought. But uh, this was the spoils of war and not his personal monetary, you know, his wages for income. Another thing to notice is that how many times did this happen? <laughs> Once. Yeah. Now, why is it that some people take a one-time account of Abraham giving a tithe spoils of war to a priest king and say that that's an example for us to give a continual, perpetual 10% of our earned monetary income to a church budget? It's like, I don't see the connection there. So we notice in verse 5, it says that they that are the sons of Levi, Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. And on verse 5, see, that's the, that's the law, that's the, the tithing law, and it's referring to the Levitical tithe. Now, if we look in verse 12, we see it says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. And what's the change of the law? If we look down in verse 18, we see it says, For there is verily a disannulling or a canceling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And the weakness and unprofitableness of that is the fact that the Levitical priesthood was limited by people who lived and died, and they were the intercessors between man and God, and the tithe, according to the law, was to sustain them in their ministry. But we see from these verses that the actual Mosaic tithe laws were can are canceled because of the ministry of Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is better than the priesthood of mortal Levites. So we have here in black and white, at least if someone's going to say that we're bound by the Levitical laws, you know, according to verses 5, the command, the, le the command to the Levites to take tithes of their people, verse 12 says there's a change of the law, verse 18 says that there's a disannulling of the commandment, which is the commandment of tithing. So at least we know that the commandment, the Mosaic law commandment to tithe is gone. And then... We just have to ask, is there anything else in the Bible that in any way commands us to tithe? <laughs> yeah, we're just about done here. <laughs> but I, I guess that, that would be about the last passage that I, could that I could cover. There's other passages that people will use, but it's more about how to you know, compensate elders and, and missionaries and so on, but none of them talk about tithing. But from what we've seen so far... Are we commanded to tithe, and if so, how do we do it? Are we commanded to tithe? Yeah. Are, are we, as New Testament Christian church believers, commanded to tithe, and if so, how do we do it? Well, I don't think we're, well, yes and no. We're, we're, it's, uh, we're free to do whatever. I mean, you know, we're free. We, we should do it. We should. We should do it. We should give. But we're not, yeah. we don't have to, but... It's a great recommendation <laughs> uh, to, to tie. Okay. Yeah, I look at it different myself. I look at we're supposed to, because that's our part of worshiping God, you know, my own opinion. But, but you said the word, are you commanded?
Yes. Yeah. What do you feel? I guess my point of, of doing all this research and study of looking at all the tithing passages in the law that talks about the nature of the tithe, to whom the tithe was, laws were given, to whom it was for, what it was for, when it was done, it doesn't look to me like those are actually for us. It was the tithe laws were actually the agricultural tax and welfare system for the nation of Israel. And from the New Testament, it looks like as New Testament church believers, we, we give out of our heart, we give to meet needs, we give out of abundance and cheerfulness and love. But I don't see anything in the New Testament or any connection to tithing that gives any particular you know amount or percentage or so on like that. If someone wants to say that giving 10% of your income is a good principle to do, you know, that's fine with me, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible, you know, looking at all of these passages in context, that there's anything that in, in any way binds us to have to do that in any way. We, yeah. we give to meet needs, we give out of our heart, we give abundantly and cheerfully, but there's no constraints for that. It's whatever whatever we, we, we're led by the Spirit to do to meet needs. I guess I guess we would talk to it was ten percent of you know yeah, we were, over you know throughout most of our lives. No, no, not wrong with twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Any chance? There's a debate whether there's one, two, or three different tithes in the tithe law, and you know where they had the annual tithe, the the third year tithes, and the tithe for the Levites, you know, some people disagree on whether they represent the same tithe or different tithes, but so there's anything from like 10% to 33% of one's harvest or whatever in the Old Testament, but whether that is or is not the case, I don't see how it applies for us as New Testament church believers that don't live in the nation of Israel and have the theocratic system of government with the Levitical priesthood. Yeah, that's the reason, but, you know, we just, uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I guess we've just been taught mm -hmm. from all my life to 10% if you can afford it and, you know, give. Well, yeah, there's it, nothing wrong with giving 10% of your income that to whatever, a church, that's you know, good. If one, the biggest, I think the biggest argument that I've heard against that was whether it's a net or gross. Yeah, yeah. and mostly it, the... the it, it, I, I've had people ask me, like, when they're Christians, well, well, what if we don't have any money to give? And I said, well, well you give, but, but you think that you can give? Mm -hmm. And I said, God will help you out with the rest. You know, mm -hmm. later on, at least if they just start, you know, a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, uh, better than nothing, and it shows mm -hmm. that they are trying, but... Uh, yeah, we was always taught 10%. Yeah. Well, I, I was always taught that too. In fact, all of my family believes that. And so I, after studying the tithe you know, in depth, and I, you know, I have like all the references memorized. I've studied it so many times. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, boing, you know, something's wrong here. You yeah, know. yeah. Most of the people who, you know, actually preach that you're required to give 10% of your income, calling it a tithe, to your own church, but haven't really studied the, the passages actually talking about tithing or take verses out of context. They don't actually see the context. So well, they're, they're, going, uh, they're probably going back to the Old Testament for the 10% then. But, it, yeah. uh, you know. but we learned from that it was always of crops and livestock. Yeah. It wasn't from someone's earned monetary income. So it was only landowners. It was 
only within the bounds of the nation of Israel. And we have the you know the annual tithe festival, which you didn't give that away. You ate it yourself and shared it with Levites. You have the year of the tithe, the third year, which is the only one that people gave away. But it was still always crops and livestock. So only landowners tithe there. After doing all the study, it's like I have to conclude with looking and looking at the New Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells the church, in particular, that they need to tithe and that they need to tithe of their monetary income and that they need to tithe to the church. All I see is cheerful giving to meet needs, and the tithe, in particular, is an is only a an, a nation of Israel concept, and it has to do with its form of government. And the Levitical priesthood, which we see in Hebrews chapter 7, that was dissolved because the weakness of unprofitableness of it, because you know we have the priesthood of, of Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek, and he's a priest that you know, lives forever, and he's the, the mediator between God and men. We don't have a, a, a priesthood of people that we have to go to to intercede to God on our behalf, and that's what the tithe in the Old Testament was for, for to sustain those people. But we have direct access to God, and so there's no tithe necessary, although, you know, in the New Testament, the epistles to the church, the people in the church are told to, you know, give cheerfully, abundantly, not of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver, and we give out of the heart a spirit-led to meet needs. But there's there's no constraint to that, that here's a minimum floor or whatever like that. There's just whatever we give out of our heart, and we give it to meet needs, and we give it cheerfully. That's the way I, I see some yeah. of my study. I hope that all this is, has helped you at least think about some yeah, verses that we've seen, and maybe you'll... Yeah, you know, you'll think about you know whether I'm correct or maybe I'm not correct, but at least we looked at all these passages right, right. and see it's the context. It actually comes out and says it, so yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with you on that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's just the way we just fall back on our feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah, yeah, right. And it could be everybody, everyone's condition too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I can remember when I was, we was, I just bought a lot and was remodeling, put a lot of money into it. And then it comes up at the same time. And our charges was just going up, you know, mm-hmm. we was upgrading our house, you know, in different areas, so it was costing us more money. Mm-hmm. And we had a revival going every night for what a week. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, we went and, and we felt compelled to give money that we really didn't have. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. we had never done this before, see. Yeah. But, you know, how God left us, this was my business. And just the doors just started opening like that. Mm-hmm. And and, and, I, and I praised them for it, but we'd never, we would not have done it if, if we didn't feel like we were pressed. We're 70, 75, they, they didn't pay anything, but it didn't mean that they did anything wrong. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I think if the Lord faces something on your heart, mm-hmm. you better do what He wants you to do. And yeah. and if you don't have to do it, then you don't have to do it. If, if you don't feel like, you know, you have to, then I don't think you should feel it. I, I think we're all. Condemned on what we believe, you know. If if we believe that I should, if I believe I should be it, then I should. And if that next person that next we don't believe it, then you know that's their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got to go. So okay, all right. <laughs> you're you're a real good teacher. Uh, really enjoy you. your teaching. Oh, oh, I should stitch more. <laughs> 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, lesson from A Blast from the Past, and I hope that you will stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.